G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Banter Over Whiskey. So tonight um, there's just the three of us, uh, Adrian, Vic and myself, Brad. Um, the other the other three guys are, are otherwise occupied. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what Mick's doing tonight, you know, scaling fish or something. But um, yeah, so we're, we're really lucky. We've got uh, We've got a very special guest on tonight. So we've got um, one of the superstars from uh, Sullivan's Cove Whiskey, uh, Ali Barner. Welcome, Ali. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Absolutely our pleasure. So, Hello. Ali, um, let's, maybe we should start and, you know, just talk about you So, um, and your journey, how you, how you came to work at, at Sullivan's Cove. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been quite quite the journey, uh, I guess you could say. Um, and we were just discussing earlier, you know, in, in my younger days, drinking a lot of bourbon, that was definitely a, a bit of a, a gateway into the whiskey world for me. Um, but I, uh, I finished my degree and ended up wanting to do a bit of travel. So ended up in the UK, which is where I really de developed a love uh, of single malt whiskey. Um, and from there, I just did a, a lot of working holiday visas. I, I did a, a bit of jumping around from country to country and working hospitality as a way to fund that. Um, and ended up scoring myself a job in a whiskey bar uh, over in the Netherlands. And uh, I guess that was kind of that light bulb moment going off where I got to really delve into uh, whiskey a lot deeper and I realized how much I enjoyed the, the sharing of whiskey with other people. Um, so, you know, I spent about a year working there and absolutely loved it. Um, and then moved to uh, Norway for a bit and worked in a whiskey bar there and, and just kept trying different things and, and developing my knowledge. Uh, but I guess there came a time where um, I was at that crossroads and uh, a bit sick of jumping from country to country and getting visas everywhere. Um, and being a New Zealander, wanted to be a little bit closer to home. So I uh, started doing a bit of research, and I knew that there was a bit of a, a whiskey scene down in Tasmania. So thought I would try and, uh, and make the jump. Um, turns out 2019 was quite a good time to stop traveling as well. So I uh, did pretty well on that front. Um, but, yeah, I was back home and, and kind of just sent out a few CVs uh, to various distilleries and, and whiskey uh, bars and I uh, got a call from um, the cellar door manager at the time, uh, Tom Ambrose. So he gave me a, an interview uh, over the phone and basically said, how soon can you get here? And I flew out the following week and I guess um, started out working in the cellar door. And I mean, I'd been working with a lot of various whiskey products, but it was really nice to just delve into one distillery and learn that process really in depth and, and get behind the scenes. So um, it was a big learning curve and, you know, we, we present tours and tastings to people. So that, that was a big part of uh, the learning curve as well was, was learning that presentation side of things. So yeah, I'm three years into my Sullivan's Cove journey now and you know, when I first moved, I didn't know a whole lot about the Tasmanian whiskey industry. I just kind of went for it and, you know, to start working at a place like Sullivan's Cove and realise I'm working in this world-class whiskey industry in, the, in the, a remote place like uh, Small Tassie. It was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, 
So, yeah, been quite the journey in the three years. Um, I started managing the cellar door after a time and I've more recently just moved into a into a sales role, which is pretty varied, um, doing a little bit of events work and other things like that. So, yeah. So that's yeah, where nice. we're at now. That's yeah. really cool that you, like, um, is that is that normal to um, send CVs from, you know, the other side of the Dutch? And... Um, <laughs> Like I, I yeah. wouldn't imagine that was that would be a normal procedure to to interview somebody over the phone. Yeah, and, oh. I've actually I've done it quite a lot because um, I literally for eight years in a row was moving into a moving to a new place, and so before I went, I'd prepare myself by doing my research into different places uh, I could potentially work and sending my CV out. So I've actually done that interview process in that way a few times before. Because there's nothing yeah, better right. than getting to the place and already having a job lined up or interviews at least. So, um, yeah, I just got the timing right. One of the um, one of the guys that was working in the cellar door at the time had just moved into production, so I managed to nab his uh, job in cellar door. So yeah, worked okay. out worked out pretty well. Yeah. And and are they are they still there? Um, no. Was it, was uh, it Tom? Uh, no, Is it was actually um, Richard. Uh, whose job's job I took? So he's now over at Overeem uh, Distillery. Um, oh yes. Yeah, and Tom Ambrose, who who was the cellar door manager that hired me, he is actually running Ferno Distillery up on Flinders Island. So. Oh okay. Um, yeah, so we we always um we always keep that that connection, and um it's a pretty tight knit small industry that we have here. So. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Well, the the Australian industry really is is a very close close family, isn't it? It's um, it's amazing how how much they uh, everybody helps each other out, and and I think I, I was saying to you earlier, you know, like just as a general punter in the you know that enjoys a, a whiskey, um, the way they welcome the everyday drinker into the into the fold is really cool in Australia. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's not just about the enjoyment of the product; it's about enjoying it with other people. I think that's a big part of it for a lot of people is the community. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get packages of samples in the mail from people all the time. I mean, I got a lovely one from uh, John Yankovsky just last week, so uh, I'll give him a shout out because <laughs> he's on the podcast yeah. sometimes. But uh, I mean, people are just so chuffed to to share their discoveries in whiskey with other people. And um, there's not a lot of other things like that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Mm. I agree. But maybe we should... I'd have uh, to give John a nudge. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I haven't had any samples from him for a while, so I might have to uh, give him a call and go, hey, what's going on, mate? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm due to send some back, actually, so I'll I'll have to make sure I get some over to, to you guys as well. Oh yes, please. No, I, I, uh, yeah, my uh, my Sullivan's Cove stash is uh, very low at the moment. Let's just say I did have a the pilot cast that was. It's gone. I'll be I'll be honest. It's gone. Yeah. It's not dwindling anymore. Yeah. The um yeah. the angel share here, who uh, I kindly refer to as my partner, she uh, she's a big fan, and um, the pilot cast did not last long here at all. I can uh, I can say we were very uh, very fond of that one. So yeah, I'll have to try and trip down there and uh, grab one myself, I think, because Brad was kind enough to give me one. So, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely uh, need a visit down there very soon. And, yeah, yes. please do. I on mean, the, we've got a on the list. fantastic 
it's it's on the list. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. So, um, no, that's all right. Yeah, I was just going to say we've got a fantastic cellar door and fantastic team that that host people down here, and um, it's pretty much the only surefire way to get yourself a bottle at the moment as well is to come and visit. So um, it's a good good way to go. <laughs> it's it's so, the way I've so, got all of mine. Uh, we were talking about <laughs> earlier. I'm talking about that earlier. It's the way I've got all of mine is by going there. And, um, yeah, now that you've told me how the, the ballot system works, um, I'm probably going to put into it for a few of them. Yeah. Um, keep persevering. Absolutely. So. You should definitely um, win something eventually. It's it, You know, we're, we're in a pretty tough position. And you might say it's a nice position to be in, being, have, being that in demand. Mm. But... Um, I mean, we got to the point where things were selling out in under five minutes every time, and at that point, that first and best dressed model just doesn't doesn't work. So, um, the ballot system was kind of the fairest way we we uh, thought we would go forward, and um, it kind of spreads it out a bit. It means that people have more yeah. of a, a chance to get their hands on one, and um, does, yeah. Does the ballot great. system also limit? people buying three or four bottles at a time. So it just sort of it spreads it out so everyone else can get a bit of a go? 100%. In fact, it takes mm -hmm. it one step further than that. It's one entry per household. Um, and if the algorithm okay. picks up that you're, gonna, that you're doing more than one entry per household, you'll get stuff removed. So, um, nice. yeah, it's a, it's a very, very fair system. And the, the more times you miss out, the more likely you are to win uh, later on. So, um, yeah, okay. it works pretty well. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, definitely, cool. Have to definitely look into that one then. Yeah, uh, great. I have a question because um, we have a few listeners from America, from all over the world. Um, so if someone, and you guys are very popular overseas, as you might know. Yeah. If someone comes in to Tassie and they want to see um, Sullivan's Cove, what should they expect um, besides the cellar door? What's around there? in terms of, let's say, an American person comes in and they want to see the township and, yeah, walk sure. around? Well, so our original distillery site was in the Sullivan's Cove precinct of Hobart, so right, right in the city there. And, uh, I mean, that's an absolutely beautiful area. It's probably where, where most people spend their time when they come to Hobart and head to Salamanca and, and all of that kind of area. Um, where our distillery sits now is actually in a bit more of an industrial area out in Cambridge, so a little bit more towards the airport. airport. Um, and saying that, it's probably only about a 15, 20-minute drive from the city. Um, and though it is industrial, you're still very close to the Coal River Valley. So that whole area, um, you've got plenty of wineries. You've got Richmond up the road, which is stunning. Um, it's where Clara is based as well, which is another fantastic distillery. Um, we've got Spring Bay up the road. So there's a few distilleries and, and really nice winery kind of experiences you can do uh, nearby. Um, and it's really not far from the city. So, you know, totally uh, able to, to catch an Uber out or um, however you wanted to get out there. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great to know. Um, people can just um, – and Celador, Celador, another question that I was asked to ask. You have always whiskey available at the Celador year-round? Yes. Um, I've not seen a time where there's nothing available. 
Um, but in saying that, stock levels are very up and down. But, you know, we want to try and make sure that there's something there for people to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, if they and is there a limit? Yes. Is there a limit to bottles? <laughs> yes, yes. So the, the same same kind of limitations apply in terms of one per household as well. Okay, because I, I had a particular gentleman, which he's paid a few thousand dollars for one of your bottles and he wants to come to Tassie. He says it will cost him about the same price if he traveled to Tassie and bought a bottle there. So can he, will he be able to take two? Oh, it's, so it depends what we have. I mean, if we have two different styles of whiskey yeah. available, you can have one, of, you can buy one of each, but it all depends what we have available at the time. Um, you know, uh, you can always give us a call at the cellar door and ask, ask what we have uh, on the shelf. And yeah, well worth a visit. And we, we do tastings and everything as well. So, you, you know, it's the opportunity to taste beforehand too. There you go, my American friend. Don't pay $5,000 for a bottle of Sullivan's Cove. Go and get yeah, it yourself. Lie down and make the most of it and have a holiday. Why not? <laughs> so are we, um, are we doing what's in your glass? Ooh, maybe we should. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. I was, actually, I was just talking and I was muted. Um, I was just saying, I, I um, <laughs> talking I to yourself, that, mate. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting thirsty. So, um, um, I've actually poured myself um, a pilot cast from Sullivan's Cove. So, this one is um, a double cask whiskey finished in a French oak ex brandy cask. Um, Fantastic. Uh, it was distilled in 2008, um, November 2008, and it was um, bottled in uh, April 2020. Um, and it, then it says batch batch finish from the 1st of the 9th, 2020 to the 19th of the 1st, 2021. So there, there was a... Oh, okay, of course. So it was yeah, a double so... cask, double cask whiskey. Then it was finished in a French oak ex brandy. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So, yeah. um, it, for us, the, the pilot cask releases are cellar door only, and um, they're anything that's a bit experimental and a little bit outside the the usual range. Um, so you know, we haven't ex- we haven't played around a lot with finishing. Generally, the whiskey's full maturation just in the one cask type, um, and double cask is part of the range that. Um, is is really Heather Tillard, our distillery manager, um, has a huge hand in. So she's taking portions of American and French oak casts, marrying those casts together. Uh, and then, then in this case, she's taken that liquid and finished it in one of our own brandy casts. Um, so, um, yeah, something quite different. And uh, it was a really, really cool release uh, to have at Cellar Door. And, um, yeah, love yeah, to hear it's, it's, Brad. It's incredible. It's it's well, everybody at home can't see it, but it's a, like a real golden color. It's um, sensational color, um, and the nose is it's got that real brandy. It, it's like a that um, I'm not sure how you explain that. It's like that sweetness without it being um, overpowering. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I get like that musky grape kind of. Yeah, uh, I think character. that's probably what it is. What I'm what I'm referring to yeah but it's um, um lovely on the nose 
yeah, pretty incredible. I think uh, if I'm if I've got this right, I think the finishing period was only around six months or so, but um, it it took on a lot of character uh, in that quite short span of time. So yeah, out, then, out of um, curiosity, sorry, Brad, finish you finish. No, I was just going to say, like the the on the palette, it's it's quite. Um, Light's not the right word, but it's it's quite subtle. It's um, but it's got a really long finish. It's um, it yeah. just keeps going. It's amazing. I think that's um a good way to sum up Sullivan's Cove whiskey in general. Is it's it is subtle. Um, I mean, American oak bourbon casts for us are a real staple, and um, it, that's a very subtle, elegant, restrained style of whiskey. Uh, that can really showcase our spirit character very well. So, um, you know, we do use fortified barrels as well, but, you know, we, we want to strike that that balance even if we're using a big first fill fortified casks. We want to balance that uh, and still showcase the, the unique spirit we have. So um, I think subtle is a, a very good word for our, our style of whiskey in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of subtle without being like I said, without being light, without being like, it, there's still plenty of flavor. Um, it's just, yep. yeah, it's yep. got really nice rounded edges. There's nothing sharp. There's nothing pushy, but it's still full of flavor. So it's nice. Yeah. Sorry, no, that's cool. That's cool. I was, I interrupted you. Yeah. I, I can, people can't see it on, but Brad is really enjoying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that drum, <laughs> that drum. Um, I just, I just wanted to ask, um, with the finishing casks, I've always been curious, every distiller has their own opinion, every distillery. Um, have you guys got um, like a standard, like a Thomason and pump frame that you guys prefer or you just take one cask at a time? You know, like you go, like for example, you'll go for a time frame, okay, we're going to put this between three and six months and see what happens. Or you just go and basically whenever it's ready. Well, with the finishing, with enough, the finishing. Yeah, interestingly enough, finishing isn't something that we really do ever. Um, uh, we've done it only a couple of times for maybe a couple of different releases. Um, and, and I think um, the idea behind that, or e each distiller would probably approach that in, the, in a different way, but um, Heather's thought around that was she had this liquid that was you know, really good, it just needed that, that extra something. Uh, and she felt that pre-existing flavors in that liquid would pair well with uh, a pera. That's what she used for the finishing. Um, and, and then we would have just assessed the liquid over time and, and seen how that developed. Um, but yeah, as I said, that's only something we've ever done a couple of times. For the majority of the time, it's, it's about just leaving the whiskey in the cask that it is matured in and, and letting it sit there. Um, and we actually, you know, we treat our casks as individuals. It's a a really labor-intensive and interesting way to um, manage a liquid. I mean, your your ginormous distilleries. It's about you know. Well, first of all, they've got some of the millions of barrels to manage, and they want to create that very consistent product, and they achieve that through marrying the cast together. Um, but what we're doing is we're keeping an eye on each of our casts and, and assessing them and and seeing what they need and and when they've hit their peaks and when we can bottle them. So. It's a it's a long process, but we think worthwhile, and that's um, you know one of the key points of difference for us as a distillery. Um, yeah, but so, the majority of the time, 
just the one one cast type for the entire for the entire time. Yeah, that's that that that's interesting, isn't it? It um it it's probably speaks volumes for the for the um the spirit that you put in there because you know because it it works across all the different cast types that you use as a rule, doesn't it? So yeah, absolutely. It's um we've got such a a unique spirit style. I mean, um. Have have you all been to the distillery before, or just just Brad? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah just not... Brad, I'm afraid. Yeah, that will well, that will change after this episode. <laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. So the the still that we have at the distillery, um, her name's Myrtle. Uh, she's very very important, um, and she's actually modelled off uh, a cognac style still. So it's a very unique still design to be producing whiskey through. Um, and she's got this kind of spherical onion bulb. She's got a really skinny swan's neck going up and skinny line arm. And then we've got a worm tub condenser at the end of our, our still, um, which you don't see many examples of around. Um, at Sullivan's Cove, we have this very robust, oily, viscous spirit, but it's also very fruit forward. And so when we're maturing our whiskey, we want to make sure that you can still see that that unique spirit character that we have. Uh, we want to balance that out with the, the flavours of the cast that are coming through. Um, and, and generally we go for, well, we, we do, we go for two and 300 litre casks predominantly. Um, so we're looking at a very slow, long-term maturation just to really allow those flavours to slowly kind of integrate. Um, so yeah, it's it's all about kind of the, the slow slow process and slow integration of flavors, but we think well worth the wait. Um, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna ask your barrel sizes. If you have an average, there you go. You just um, answer the question. Um, yeah. Cool. So, cool to um, know. Yeah, we, um, we generally um, with that size of barrel, I mean. Because Sullivan's Cove spirit is is very big and and full full, um, yeah, it really suits that that longer term maturation and, and larger format casts. Um, and we'll start tasting the liquid once it hits about eight years of age, and we'll go from there because we know that the majority of the time it's going to hit its sweet spot in that kind of ten to twelve range. Um, can be slightly younger, so it can be slightly older, but it, it just depends on that individual barrel. We're, we're just going to have to really keep an eye on it and determine that over time. So how often, how often would you, would you, um, and from when, from what time would you start trying out the barrel and how often yep. would you um, get someone to taste a team? Yeah, and so is there a team? It, it is um, our, our tasting panel team. Um, we've, we've got an incredible team. I can't say enough about the um, the, the people working in the distillery. Um, so it, it's a combination of of, um, of people working at the distillery. We want a range of opinions. Our distillery manager Heather, Kirsten, our production manager um, Miranda. Uh, she's ex whiskey endowment. She's just been brought on board, and she's doing a lot of our our sensory side of things. And we've also just brought on board Laura Hay, uh, probably four or so months ago. Um, she's managing our our cellar door. 
Uh, and then we'll usually get a couple of other people who are around, whether that be bottling or production or cellar door. Uh, so probably about five or six people sit down and taste through some samples. Uh, and we try and do this three, three or so times a week. Um, and from the whiskey turning eight years of age, we're going to be tasting it. So every, every kind of six months or so, but it, it all just depends on the, on the cask. I mean, the guys are going to flag when they think it will come back to it. Uh, but in the end, that individual cask is going to be tasted over and over and over again till we think it's hit its sweet spot and we want to bottle it. Um, which is only achievable as a small distillery uh, like we are. Um, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of work managing your barrels like that. But we, we like to celebrate the individuality of each cask that we release. We think that's a really um, u unique way to release whiskey. Um, all of our bottles uh, have a side sticker on them. So they actually kind of display the individual barrel details. And, you know, you'll probably yield a couple of hundred bottles. And once they're gone, that's it. You, they can't be replicated. You say you, you say um, it's only manageable as a small distillery, but um, Sullivan's Cove is like there's a lot of releases through a year, isn't there? Like, yeah, poor old Myrtle, poor old Myrtle must be must be <laughs> working her fingers to the bone. Yeah, look, you. It feels like we're probably bigger than we are. I think, um, you know, you compare the uh, the amount of liquid we produce compared to your average size Scottish distillery, and it's absolutely minuscule. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, that's right. I, don't get me wrong. I, I, that's not what I mean. I, what I mean is like you, you're not a it, like it kind of sounds like a you know backyard distillery when you say it's a small distillery, but oh um, yeah, no, ab I'm absolutely, you know. Compared to in, in the global context, small yeah. uh, Tassie standards, we're probably pretty big, <laughs> but mm. um, but that's a, a different kettle of fish again. You know, like um, as you said, there's a lot of these these real kind of backyard distilleries, and um, so yeah, it's about managing each barrel and, and nurturing it, and you know, looking after it. It's a it's a unique way to kind of go about things. Yeah. Uh I've got to I've got to ask about the bottles. So that, like I said, what I what I'm drinking at the moment is a pilot cask. So, mm. has that got any special meaning, or is it just it's that's just the name for the um, this? I don't know if you call it a core range, but it's the core releases, isn't it? The pilot cask. Um, it's it's more of a it's a little bit separate to the core range. It's it's more of an experimental cellar door only release. Um, and, and how it actually came about um, was, you know, it's quite a funny story. Um, there was a French oak about to be bottled, um, but they had just bottled an orange liqueur beforehand. Uh, and unfortunately, um, there was still some present in the, in the pipes when they went to bottle out the French oak. So we ended up with this orange liqueur tainted French oak, which was absolutely delicious but no longer a single malt whiskey. Um, so, uh, you know, at the time we thought, let's start this new range called Pilot Cask, um, and it can be for anything that's a bit quirky and different and a little bit outside the, the normal range. So, um, yeah, we've had several since. Um, as I said, 
um, you know, two and three hundred litre casks generally what we stick to, but we've had a couple of the, the smaller casks that we've experimented with through that range, uh, experiments with finishing, uh, and then some more unusual cast types like red wine casks, which are just something we wouldn't ordinarily release. Um, so, so things like that are reserved for the pilot cask range. Yep. That, yeah. that makes sense, you know, like, cause it, that's what it sounded like to me, you know, when it's, yeah. when it's called a pilot cask, it tended to mean to me that you were trying something, um, to see yeah. whether you, something you wanted to do in the bigger format and, or, you know, bigger releases and so on. So yeah, that's right. That's it's really like a, cool. a pilot for a TV series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. So, so if that's the podcast, so what's, what are the other, the releases, you know, I think we can, Yeah, like we, we probably know what they are, but it'd be good to just go through them, I guess. Sure. Um, we've got a, a core range um, and what that encompasses is our single cask American Oak uh, ex-bourbon releases single cast French oak tawny and then there's also the double cask now the double cask is the only release in our range that is not a single cask um, and that one is uh, is really down to heather um, I mean when we're doing the tasting panels I mean to be a single cask release it has to be an exceptional all-rounder whiskey it's not going to be mixed with anything else not every whiskey in our bond store is going to be that all the whiskey is uh all the liquid's good, but some of it's better as team players. And, and we're fortunate enough that we've got someone like Heather that can take those whiskies and blend them and, and create something really beautiful with it. Uh, so that's what the double cask is. Um, I think it's an absolutely incredible whiskey. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that sits alongside the single cask American oak and French oaks. Uh, special cask is for the one-off barrels that come through the bond store. Um, so we've, we've had several, uh, releases under that range and that's kind of, you know, your white wine casts, we've had Frontenac, we've had Musket, um, we, we've had all sorts of, of, you know, Apera, um, so yeah, all of your kind of one-off, uh, casts that come in and then we have an old and rare range. So that's anything 16 years and above, they go into old and rare. Um, so yeah, that. It's a pretty good summary. There's probably a couple of other releases in there as well. Like um, we've got some limited edition releases with the stripes as well. Um, they're kind of twists on the core range, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, um, it's quite cool as a distillery. Um, we focus on the oak a lot. You'll notice that on the front of our bottles that they'll say if they're either an American oak or French oak, uh, but they might have, you know, various pre-fills as well that we've, we've used and, uh, we do experiment with different cast types, but ex-bourbon and ex-tawny are the predominant ones that we look at. What What are you drinking tonight? So I am actually drinking uh, a newer release to our range, which is um, a single cask, old and rare second fill, if you can see that. It's a, it's a 16-year-old. Um, so we, we just started getting our second fill whiskies coming through the pipeline. Um, early 2020 was the start of them. So basically we, we had uh, casks that were being filled up in the, in the very early years uh, at the distillery. The whiskey was later decanted out. Um, many of the casks we re were refurbished and recharred, uh, and then we refilled them all. And, you know, at 12 
14 years um, later, we're kind of starting to decant them and release them. And some of them have just tipped it over into that old and rare category in 16 and above. So uh, really, really excited to see those coming in. Um, second fill casts, um, far more casts, uh, far less cast presence on them. So yeah, we've found that they're really popular, especially with the uh, whiskey nerds. <laughs> I just yeah. um, oh, I just saw them when you held the bottle up, Ali. Um, you mentioned earlier about the stripes. Is that the red stripe that goes across the label? Or you just briefly held the bottle yeah. up then is that what you meant with the stripe yeah that's yeah, right okay. so this one um with the red stripe is a second fill american oak um the interesting mm -hmm. thing about these releases are they aren't ex-urban they were actually virgin oak the first time we filled them uh and at the distillery we've now filled them twice over so they're the barrels that have only ever held our own spirit in um and on that second fill far less cast presence so you get all this delicious kind of fruit board uh character coming from our spirit i think they're absolutely delicious whiskies um definitely send you some samples over of this one because i yeah i'm a big fan of it yeah um this is yes, the one please. that they have at cellar door currently actually so um mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty special yeah i think it was a second fill that i got last time i was um I was down there. Mm. Um, I, I it, it's and it's downstairs. I won't I won't run off and get it now. But um, I can't remember what it was. But it was it's got a the red stripe as well. So yeah, is that that would be that. Is that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice. It's not an old and rare. It's just a, a second fill. So yeah, yeah. Mm. No, they're fantastic whiskies. You just get all this orchard fruit coming in and. I think they're absolutely delicious. So they're some of my favourites. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of of age, because a lot of people, um, especially in the states, they are amazed that our industry is more than ten years old. So that bottle you got there, how old did you say it was? Sixteen. Sixteen, and being a second fill. So let's. Do Do you have any idea the first fill? Oh. How long has stayed in there for? Eight, nine? Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure about that first fill, how long the liquid would have been in it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're 28 years in now. So that's wow. how we're able to start having these second fills because they were filled in the early years. They've decanted, what, probably about a decade later and then uh, refilled and starting to come to full maturation now. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty cool. And um, to have a whiskey with that kind of age on it in, in Australia, you know, it's not something you see every day. So Amazing. Very, very cool. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Which, which brings the point that I always, try, I always try to make a point when people talk about Solvent's Cove and, and the first thing that comes to, to in their mouth is the price, the price. Well, compare Solvent's Cove with a distillery that's been around for four years. And have a look at the price they sell their whiskies, and then make a statement. That's what I always tell them. Solvent's yeah. been around for a long time, and it, you're not just buying the whiskey and the flavour, which is awesome. You're buying the heritage too. Yeah, that's it. And um, yeah, I guess um, the the big thing is the sc the scale thing, which we already discussed. I mean, we're we're so tiny and producing such a minuscule amount and the, the demand is completely outweighing what we're producing at the moment. So, 
I mean, that kind of uh, dictates the price really, um, you know, so. Nice. Well, I'll, um, I'll quickly jump on and do what's in my glass because I know Vic's yeah. got something special coming up. But, um, look, like I was saying earlier, my Sullivan's Cove is just gone because it doesn't last long around here. So I'm actually in my glass in uh, in honour for, for Wes, who can't make it tonight. I've got his latest release, the uh, Wild River Elevation Single Malt Whiskey, batch number four, sitting on about 45%. Um, this is really... This is up there with these releases. Like um, I'm getting a lot of cough lollies, believe it or not, which isn't too offensive as much as it sounds that way, like the old throaties. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because he is a mate and I do like his gear. So, And to be honest, that's pretty much the only Australian whiskey I've got left in my cupboard at the moment. So um, hopefully Father's Day will bring something special. Hint, hint. But... Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just thought I'd throw it out there just really quickly that, yeah, this elevation, I don't know if he's got any left. Um, I think he I think he does have some left. So if anyone's keen, just hit Wes up at uh, Wild River and uh, he'll sort you out. But, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw, send um, some down to you, Ellie. I'll, I'll send you a sample down so you I'd can. I'd love to try mm, some, yeah. You can try it out. Yep. It's actually, he, he, he yeah. does a good job. Right. Yeah, fact, based up in I've, far north Queensland. So, I think I've got his last so couple like the, of releases, so I could I could send you a sample of each. Awesome. That's not a bad I idea. Yeah. I just think I'm, the, I'm due a Queensland trip, really. You know. Yeah, well, that's got to happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kansas is always good. Are you coming up in? Hey, um, are you coming up in October for the? Um, the, uh, what is it called? The Whiskey Show. The, yeah, the Whiskey Show. Oh, Whiskey Whiskey. Oh, okay. Let's no, in again. October. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I hadn't planned on it, but let's see. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, well, there you go. We might, do a, we might do a podcast reunion. I'll go up. Yeah. Great. Why <laughs> not? Just to add something on Wes up, up there. Oh, yeah, definitely. We might record something. Why not? When we sober. Because Afterwards, we went. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the with, whiskey shows—they're always big days. Yeah. With ways up north, I just want to add that they—they um, they are probably the most elevated um, distillery in Australia. They up in the table. Um, what are they called? Table mountains, table tops. Table, what does West Ather, call these? Uh, Atherton Tablelands. 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 So he's two hours. Unique. Hour and a half west west of Cairns, up in the Athena Tablelands. It's a bit cooler up there because um, it is higher. But yeah, look, he's probably the, one of the. He might be the northernmost distillery in Australia. Now that we think about it, there is another one up there, Devil's Thumb, but they might be a little bit further north. But yeah, look, he's he's pretty well established up there, as, and um, he's pump, pumping out some good gear. So yeah, it's uh, definitely worth a visit if yeah. you're up that way. He's, he's got unique factors. He's got a couple of unique factors, as in not just elevation. The, it's very volatile up there. The humidity and the pressure varies a lot. He tells us, and his angels share. Like, it's weird because you don't usually get a distillery that's so far above sea level and with Australian weather. So, um, 
it's interesting some of them some of the stuff he brings out i've tried some of his moonshine and it's just wow I, I, my, one of my favorites mm. is the one he made out of corn which he said it was very painstaking very hard to make being a bourbon drink as you know and um yeah that was up there with top five moonshines i've ever tried very full of flavor i was just gonna believe the flavor was coming out of the clear spirit very cool it must be such a unique yeah. climate to work in yeah yeah hmm. well so I, um, Vic, what have you got in your glass mate i know you've got something special there that you've uh, opened especially well, this evening but yeah i'll let you uh let you carry on well, we, we had been talking about bringing um, our special guest for, uh, for a while now, and I didn't expect her to turn up tonight. So I was saving the bottle. I was going to save it for as long as it took. But, um, yeah, I bought a bottle, my only Sullivan's Cove bottle that I have, and it's not a whiskey. <laughs> it's a brandy. And um, I got it through the whiskey club. And when I saw the offering, the add-on, oh, God, I just couldn't press the button quick enough. The only thing that I know about it is that it's 10 years old. It's out of a single cask and it's cask number 27. And um, it is, well, a flavor bomb. God, the fruit coming out of this. Um, yeah. I've, I've got two German glasses, my trustworthy stalls. I've got, um, for the people around that can't see, I've got a, the typical brandy glass, which you can put on the cradle and warm it up with, the naked flame, and I also have uh, whiskey nosing glass, just to get as much flavors. But sorry, as much nuances, aromas out of it as I can. And um, very quickly, man, it's a fruit bomb, and it's got so much chocolate coming out of the palate, and um, very complex, very complex for a brandy. Um, but um, very dangerous because once you start sipping on it. It, um, it takes you by surprise. It changes. Actually, I don't know if you guys have had some whiskeys that they change on your palate and they just keep time as it opens up. You're just getting more and more flavors and you can start to find the different flavors. I, I'm getting, I was getting a lot of dark fruits and then it changed to red fruits, red berries, but the grape is there. You cannot, I'm a cyclist. It's a brandy all around, but the expert, please, please enlighten us. Okay. Tell us how you guys oh, made this brandy. Tell me. Look, it, it came around kind of by chance. Um, one of the um, uh, one of the people involved with the distillery at the time had shares in this local winery, and we got our hands on hundreds of bottles of Tasmanian wine, uh, and this is in 2007. Um, so, yeah, uh, we happened to have a cognac-style still, as I mentioned, and we thought, why not just a little? Um, and, and some we kept as, um, you know, separate distillates just with, you know, Chardonnay or Pinot and some of it was mixed. And then it was all aged in fortified casks. So both American and French oak fortified casks. Um, so very unique way to approach producing a brandy. Um, and it's all been aging, uh, you know, for quite some time now. We started bottling it after nine years and, and we've, we've been bottling it ever since. But uh, unfortunately, we only produced that one lot in 2007, so it will run out eventually. Um, it was really cool to be able to do a release with uh, the guys over at the Whiskey Club. I think that that one in particular is a really robust brandy. It's um, I, I think it might be 14 years old, that one, actually. So uh, one of the oldest brandies we've released to date. 
Um, and yeah, it, it's pretty special stuff. I think it definitely suits a, a whiskey drinker's palate. Um, it's um, it, it stands out. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty cool in that way. And we love when people come into the cellar door for you know, a tour or a tasting to put a glass of that in their hand. I mean, they come and see us for the whiskey, but you, you put a glass of the brandy in their hand and, you know, they're pretty blown away by it. So it's a, a cool one to be able to have. Yeah. I, I cannot recommend it enough. I, I would recommend if you go into the distillery and if you're, um, if you're a spirits fan, this is, this is a very big, big brandy. And um, yeah, I, I I have a few bottles, a few, Brad. I am being honest at this time. It's less less than ten, so less than ten is few, isn't it? Yes, three, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, a few. It's actually three ish. Three ish. This this could be the tenth or the eleventh, but um, yeah, it's it's. You've, you've oh, probably got more than the cellar door, mate. Buy it. Go and buy it. If you like brandy, go and buy it. It's it's worth its weight in gold. So I didn't know you had more. So this was like some limited thing, but I'm going to go and get some more now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's, really, um, it's really rich and fruity without being sugary sweet. And, um, I mean, we haven't been, been shy with, with the booze on with them either. You know, um, you see a lot of brandy at that kind of standard 40% range, but um, we've approached it in the same way, way we approach our single cask whiskies. We perform an ABV trial on the liquid uh, and we decide where we think the uh, liquid sits best at where it's most balanced. So we find 47, 48% tends to be a sweet spot, but I've seen brandies at, you know, 50 plus percent as well. So um, yeah, just depends on the cask. Yeah. I've, I've tried some uh, high ABV brandies and um, they feel very harsh at times. Like you really have to let them sit for a long time and, and even then, some of them are just a little bit too strong for my palate. But um, but this thing, forty-seven point five. Look, let's put it into perspective for a whiskey drinker that does not drink brandy. This brandy tastes like a let's let's say an Island Park um, cask strength in the fifties with the flavour. But the alcohol that you feel in it, it's like a forty-five percent. It's it's not hot at all. It's you feel a little bit of warmth toward the mid palate, and that's about it. And that's why I'm saying it's very dangerous. Because, yeah, it's really, yeah. really well rounded and well integrated, and you know, that, oh, that such complexity. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable the fruit, amount of fruits that I'm getting out of it. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. Um, I think it goes for the whiskey as well. It's definitely. Um, a style of whiskey and brandy to really spend a lot of time with, and the more you do, the more you'll you'll pick up as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very different. So mm. made up from um, very old Tasmanian wine, and you've got a cognac still. Yeah, so very, it's unique. very unique. I don't think you can get anything. I've never had the brandy made up from from wine, so this is yeah. my first one. So um, yeah, I'm very impressed. Wow. Yeah, well, let's see if we make more in the future. Um, I you have to. Fingers crossed. Um, Heather is actually a massive brandy buff. Spent a, a bit of time over in Cognac and Armagnac. She loves the stuff, so I'm sure she would love to produce some more. Um, but, yeah, uh, time will tell. If we do, I guess there will be a gap while we're maturing it all, though. So there you go. 
Vic, mate, um, I was sorry. Uh, yeah. You go, Adrian. No, sorry. All I was going to say is that while you've, while you've all been talking, I've had a quick look on the website and um, you've got the double cask brandy available and the single cask Chardonnay. So w which one have you got there, Vic? I know it was an add-on with the, the Whiskey Club. It's a single cask. The one that I have on, it's a single cask. And it says on the box, from um, aged from 10 years old. So um, it's a, I guess it will be a special peak. Oh, okay, Pinot. Ah, there you yeah, go. that one sold out. The Pinot, the Pinot Noir sold out. The Chardonnay is available, and the double cask brand is available on the website. So, I better, yes. I better purchase them as soon as we finish. As soon as we finish recording, I will buy them because I know I'm once the podcast you goes up, already, mate. they'll yes. be gone. Double, double cask brand is lovely as well. It's um, Heather's married together several casks to create the double cast brandy, and yeah, it's also just absolutely delicious. So, it does an amazing job. Yeah, excellent, awesome. There you go. I think um, if I do if I do make it down there, Ali, I'm going to need a big chili bin to uh, throw all my stuff in when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love sorry, I had to do it. Bin. Well done. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was just for your benefit. Oh, was it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I took that seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I was just thinking, like uh, earlier, uh, and I think I don't think it was on the podcast, but earlier before the podcast, you you guys, um, Vic and Ali, you were talking about old fashions, and um, one of my favourite drinks of all time is an old fashioned made on on cognac. Or on brandy. Ooh. Um, it's, Never tried um, it, but that would And be I good. gotta tell you, yeah, give it a go. It's um I I was in back in twenty nineteen, I was in um the Bahamas and I had this barman put me onto it and um oh man, it was sensational. Yeah. Well my second favorite cocktail is actually a brandy cocktail, sidecar. Oh. Don't ask me what's in it, but next time you go to a bar, order a sidecar. It's a um, brandy-based cocktail, and it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Um, that uh, our, one of our um, members, Mick, always asks. Um, I hope I have the right. Otherwise, I'm gonna cop a lot of flag. If you there's a whiskey, man. is there a whiskey that um, that's sort of like sort of a staple, something that you would not care already would become or expensive would become, but you always would have to buy, what would it be? Not, not, not Sullivan's Cove. Hmm. <laughs> so like a staple for me that I couldn't live without, that I would just always have yeah, to yeah, get my some, hands on. Something that's always oh, on your shelf regardless of price. See the... I'm not one of those people that buys the same thing all the time. So this is a very hard question. I'm, I'm always buying something different and I often will buy independently bottled whiskey for that reason and go for, you know, distilleries that you don't often see as a single malt um, that often goes into blends and you find these really cool quirky single casks that are, you know, one-offs. Um, that's definitely more my style. Um, and saying that, there's definitely a couple of distilleries that are, are really, really close to my heart that um, I'll always try and get whiskey from from those. Uh, 
Um, I mean, it's already happened with one of them, Springbank. <laughs> like, you know, it's pretty much impossible to get Springbank now. But yeah, they're they're up there as as um, one of my favourites. Um, Kilhoman is another, um, and then yeah, I'm a, yeah, a Kilhoman fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and. And then, yeah, I, I love, like, you know, Tiananik and Klein Leach and, you know, there's all these distilleries mm-hmm. that are their liquids destined for, for blending with, but incredible as single malts. And when you can find uh, can find them bottled, they're gems. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Like, for me, um, I, I, I think I'm similar in as much as I, I like trying, I, I like, the craft part of whiskey, you know, like, and, and I really enjoy seeing something different that somebody has produced. Right. Um, and for that reason, like, you know, I enjoy distilleries. I really enjoy distilleries that are constantly doing a different, you know, a different uh, release, so to speak, you know, like, and, and you guys are like that, you know, like every single cask. Um, that you produce is always going to be slightly different to everything mm-hmm. else, probably, you know. So, um, yeah, for that reason, I, I tend to levitate towards um, those distilleries that do single casks, um, I think, is something that I'm, yeah, I'm fond of for that reason, that specific yeah, reason. Yeah, because you, you can always find something different and once it's mm. gone, it's gone. And, you know, exactly. next time you come back and visit us, there'll be something different again. Um, something so, else yeah. yeah yeah i think that's a pretty exciting part of what we do as well so yeah so on on that note <laughs> next time we come and visit you where, where are you going to be oh <laughs> i like how you led into that one um well it depends when you're going to come and visit i mean um the the plan is to um yeah start our new distillery build sometime soon and Hopefully, we're in there in the next couple of years. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to get to see our, our distillery grow a little bit. And for you guys that haven't visited, you know, the, the site we're currently in at the time when the guys moved us to the, the site, you know, was to, to produce some really amazing whiskey. But it's, it's very much an industrial setup. Um, you know, we at that time didn't have a lot of visitors or much interest in people coming and seeing what we were doing. So, uh, you know, we've, we've made do with the cellar door side of things the best we can, but um, the new distillery build will definitely factor in having this amazing visitor centre um, and allow the, the production side of things to grow slightly as well. Um, never going to be a ginormous distillery. It's just not, not what we're, we're aiming for, but we do want to be able to grow a little bit and, um, while maintaining the integrity of what we're doing. And um, yeah, so that's really, really exciting. So, so in the next couple of years, is that as yeah. is that as close as we can get? Yeah, <laughs> next couple <laughs> of years. So I've been told. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And and do we know do we know where? And say if you you don't know or you know you can't divulge that information or anything. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, yeah. So, um, we've just been ticked off. Um, we've taken over the lease at the Hugh and Keys building, um, which is right in Hobart City. So it's basically a move back to Sullivan's Cove, which is not far from where the original distillery site was. So, um, you know, 
beautiful heritage building that will renovate to the visit into the visitor center side of things and we'll build a distillery um so yeah we're, we're very much looking forward to um being a bit more central and um and being back to you know our, our original home place really it's pretty cool yeah that that is really cool isn't it mm, again yep. and you know it makes for a, an absolutely bonkers pub crawl around yeah. around that area, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of development happening around that area. Um, so the Good Shed, which is just next to Hobart Brewing Company, um, that's also getting done up into a, a, I think there might be a distillery going into there, um, as well as uh, breweries, wineries, and it's going to be a big, big setup as well. So, you know, I think there's going to be a little bit of a, a vibe happening around that area. Um, it should be very, very cool. I think a trip, um, Panther trip. Yeah, I know. we're going to have to do our, um, I know, a banner over whiskey uh, OB broadcast happening very soon, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. I have. Um, when, when Brad have, gets back. I have one more. Yeah, but it's going to Italy to the listeners out there. When this goes up to air, Brad will be in Italy hunting, hunting that. Uh, that um, yeah. Italian whiskey. Wilson, Wilson and Morgan, mate. Drink. So we need to know Wilson and Morgan. Drink, drinking grappa and looking for whiskey. There is an, an Italian whiskey over there. You will find it if you look hard enough. You, you know, you know it. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm going to ask you a personal question, um, Ali. Um, from a, an external point of view, say an American or European point of view, especially American, Sullivan's Cove is the bee's knees of Australian whiskey. Not just Australian either. It's up there with most international whiskies. Like, it's very highly sought. And every time I mention it to um, – every time I mention Australian whiskey, straight away, everyone asks me, Sullivan's Cove? Sullivan's Cove? Sullivan's Cove? So it's very well known. Yeah. Tell, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us the listeners, what does it feel like to work for Sullivan's Cove? <laughs> is it like a dream come true? What does it feel like? Every day getting up yeah. in the morning and I'm working for Sullivan's Cove. What does it feel like? It's brilliant. I mean, to have a job where I get to talk about whiskey all day is part of my job. I mean, that's that's a dream come true. And, I mean, I've got a social science degree. <laughs> so there were so many years when I was traveling and working hospo and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do at the end of this? And, you know, falling into something that I love like whiskey has just been absolutely incredible. Uh, and then to work for a brand like Sullivan's Cove at this time as well, while we're in this amazing transition and growth period. Uh, and not only that, to work with a team of people I get to work with, like the, they're absolutely incredible and at the top of their, their game. Um, can't say enough about the, the people I get to work with. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. Very, very lucky. Awesome. Awesome. Good to know. Know. I'm not going to ask about the water this time. People will be drinking. All right. It's been an hour. It's been an hour. I'm going to ask. I'm going to, no. Now, what Go I'm on, going to it. ask Go is, what I'm going to, usually I ask when we have distillers here and um, our brand ambassadors, where does the water come from? But what I'm going to ask is, from your experience, okay, in the industry, what, like we've had people here that get rainwater. Um, what does Wes, Wes gets his water from an underground spring? 
Uh, yeah. Jawaja, my local distillery, gets water from a spring that runs down the mountain. Like everyone gets water from different places. Achira is one of our favorites. They um, osmosis because they're in Sydney. Down. Um, what is your opinion in water? I mean, Tassie is known for one of the purest waters in the world. You think it affects whiskey? Um. Yes. I, I look. I think there's something in that. Um. In saying that, I mean. We've obviously got a very soft, we've got a very pure water type and it's very soft. So it's not contributing a huge amount in terms of flavor, I believe. Um, but of course, if you've got a riverside distillery and it's, you know, running through peat bogs and minerals and, and things like that, and it's a hard water source, then I, I think that absolutely will make a difference. And um, saying that, I know distillers who have actually done this as an experiment with different water sources and they've seen a difference so i mean i think you'd have to have to line stuff up side by side to really really see that um but yeah i think there's so many things that impact on the end product um we always get asked about water we always get asked about barrels um no one asks about fermentation which is i think one one of the biggest um, contributors to, to the flavors as well as, you know, the distillation and your stills and, and, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, um, as you can tell, we, we love talking about, about spirit. Um, and that's a, a huge part of it because that's your distillery's DNA and, and every piece of the puzzle down to, to the grain, um, you know, to the fermentation, to the water, to how it's been distilled to this decision of when you're going to bottle it. So the people as well that have been part of that process have an impact. So um, it's so multifaceted that I think it's really hard to, to say one thing has a bigger impact than another, but um, I think everything does, uh, does ultimately contribute in its own way. Um, yeah. But I also think marketing people love that Riverside distillery kind of uh, the pure water uh, kind of, thing so that's that's why I think it, it sticks in the minds of people uh the water source part of it and you know we we don't have a river running next to our distillery <laughs> but um but we've got amazing quality water from the tap that we're able to use um we, we do filter it before use but we can use that in our process uh, I I think that's I think that's a really good point right like it depends on where you are like the 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 water that you get out of the tap in Hobart is like light years away from the water that you get out of the tap in, you know, Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane mm -hmm. even, you know, like, uh, and even those, you know, the big centres, the, the water that you get from each of those is completely different, right? Yeah. Um, so, and at the same time, you know, like you, you could, you could be getting your water from underground and it, it'd be really full of bad minerals and, you know, not lend itself to whiskey either. Um, you know, rainwater obviously is probably a, a good one, you know, like uh, even rainwater, you've got to, you've got to apply some sort of filtration to it. Um, it's, it's not pure. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's a really good point. It kind of has to depend on where you are um, to, to have any any credence on whether it's any good or not, um, mm. I think I think we probably should wrap it up very very soon. But before we do that, 
Are there any special things coming up for Sullivan's Cove? Is there any special releases or anything like that that you can divulge to the Bander Open Whiskey audience? Oh, look, I don't know if there's anything I can really divulge. Um, But, I mean, there's going to be some pretty cool older whiskeys in the pipeline. Um, Some more of our second fills absolutely on the way through. Um, But, yeah, it's always hard to say definitively what there's going to be coming up always because it's a matter of the tasting panel assessing it and saying, yes, that's that's really ready to uh, bottle. So, um, yeah, it's always a matter of just waiting to see what comes up and hoping that when we sit down and do the tasting panel, we find some single casks. So there you go. Uh, We have to wait and see. Um, We are going to be part of Sydney Whiskey Fair and Whiskey Abbey this year. Um, So if you are based in sydney or melbourne that's an opportunity to come and see us and uh we're going to be hosting some pretty mes- uh, special master classes at those as well so um really looking forward to the opportunity to hang out with a bunch of whiskey people and um and share some really cool drams as well so so when's the the whiskey fair in sydney uh that is next weekend Next weekend. Yep. Oh. Uh, well, oh, next week. Really? Throughout- yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, man. <laughs> we, we I'm, I'm on the central coast. Ah, you can come down. Come down, Adrian. Backwards is going to be there. I forgot to tell tell you guys. Oh. I think we, uh, I think uh, we will be there. Are you, going, are you going to be there? Me or Ali? Brad? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll you, be there. You, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about Brad. Brad will yep. be in Italy. <laughs> Being drunk on, in wine, yeah. he'll yeah, be drinking yeah. wine. He'll be, like he'll, be yeah, like no. he'll be living like a Roman emperor. He'll be living like a Roman emperor. We'll have a oh yeah, we'll we'll have a stall, and then we're gonna do a masterclass on the Sunday as well. So yeah, it should be cool. Um, okay. Sunday masterclass. We should be able to make it. Sunday masterclass mm. is gonna be a French oak lineup. It's gonna be pretty special. Um, some bottles oh that goodness. you're not gonna see in the wild. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Whiskey Abbey will be in November, so that one's run by the amazing guys at Castrovinos, um, and should be mm-hmm. um, also a uh, very, very good. Um, so, yeah, excited. Yeah, I've, heard, cool. I've heard a lot of really good things about the the Whiskey Abbey, um, the way it works. It, it sounds really, yeah. really cool. Yeah, they they ran it for the first time last year, I believe, um, but I missed out because. Uh, Borders got closed, um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to get there this year. Is the um is the masterclass next weekend? Is that is that a ticketed event and is it sold out? It is ticketed. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if it's sold out or not. It's on the Sunday, so it's the very last day of the fair. Yeah, yeah. so um, you could probably jump on the Oak Barrel website to have a look and see if it's yeah. still. Still on. Vic, yeah. Vic, I, I'm telling you, Vic, get on there. Grab grab a ticket. <laughs> yeah, I was now, talking mate. to I was talking to Lee. I was talking to Lee um a couple of days ago and he told me about it and I was gonna tell you guys and then I forgot. I completely forgot. Right. And he reminded me again today. Yeah. Backwards will be there. At the oak barrel. All right. Yeah, at the oak barrel. So yes. We'll definitely see you there, Ali, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be brilliant. Nice. Okay, well, 
Thank you very much for coming on, Ali. Um, I know um, we've sort of been talking about this for a little while and, you know, we haven't really been able to line things up, but it's it's great that to finally get you on here and to finally talk about yourself and, and Sullivan's Cove. So, um, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for thanks Good. for giving us thanks, your time. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, nice to meet you, Adrian and Vic. I'm sure I'll, I'll see you around sometime and... Yeah. Oh, absolutely! It's uh, definitely been our pleasure, and uh, yeah, thanks again. It's um, yeah, it's been been really great chatting about uh, Sullivan's Cove, and, and again finding out about yourself as well. So, look forward to doing it again in the near future. Awesome! Yeah, yeah. thanks, guys. We'll do a trip down and and yeah, have a have a whiskey with you. Definitely. Convince you to do a trip to Tassie, so that's my job done. Woo! <laughs> done. Yes, we'll do it. we will be there. Oh, again, sold. Uh, if I have to. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks everybody for having a having a listen to uh, this episode of Bender Over Whiskey. Really appreciate your time, um, and you know, hopefully it was enlightening. And um, we've, so, as Ali just said, hopefully we've sold a few people on Tassie, um, and specifically on Sullivan's Cove, although it sells itself. So, yep, thanks for listening. I hope to see you on the next banter. Um, until then, cheers. <laughs>